Hello, everyone. This is Angela Evans, Dean of the LBJ School, and this is another uh, session in our Policy on Purpose. And I'm very pleased today to have one of our illustrious and renowned alum with us, uh, Austin Smythe. And I have to tell you a little bit about um, Austin. He recently served as a, as Speaker Paul Ryan's Policy Director, and he did that for four years. And you know that's a hot seat position uh, in terms of the House of Representatives and all that was going on between 2015 and 2019. Uh, he joined uh, Ryan's staff in, in 2007, so obviously uh, Mr. Ryan saw the talent and, and brought him up as a Policy Director. He has served in various roles, including Policy Director for the House Ways and Means Committee, another very powerful committee in the House of Representatives, and as the staff director of the House Budget Committee. So you're seeing a pattern here in terms of looking at the budget, its construction, its execution, and the role it plays uh, in in our um, in the policy deliberations of the United States Congress. He's been described as a quote budget guru. I don't know if he likes that title or not on Capitol Hill, and is widely liked and respected. I don't know. We've talked to a lot of people, and when you talk about about Austin, and I don't know if you know this, Austin, people just really respect you uh, and respect your demeanor, your objectivity, your substance. So we are so proud to have you here today, both as a leader and an accomplished public servant, but also as one of our alum. So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good. So let's get started. Um, we're going to be here, you're going to be here during a very important time for the LBJ School. We're welcoming admitted students. Now, these are students who are admitted. Some have said they're coming. Some have not yet made their decision. So they're going to have an opportunity to meet one of our alum. So when you think about it, what do you think stands out to you about your time at the LBJ School that you can think about, oh, you can go back to that time, how meaningful that was to you? For your career. Over my career, I think the most important things for the, the, um, the skills I've relied on that I think were really solidified when I was at the LBJ School was the ability to, to distill information that um, uh, the Congress has to deal with very complicated topics. The budget is a very complicated topic. Um, things are frequently um, done late in the process. Um, and what uh, staff have to do on the Hill is be able to distill that information and present it in a way that's that's understandable, that gives um, clear options and 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 times a recommendation to policymakers. Um, uh, I think also the uh, the 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 school helped me the um, with my writing skills in terms of writing. Uh, it also helped me with um, uh, with exposing me to quantitative methods. Um, uh, and numbers, and the budget is numbers in, in the end. Uh, and um, I didn't do a lot of sophisticated modeling over my career, but I've spent a lot of time being the consumer of that information. I think that's been terribly valuable. And the last was working in teams. I think that a lot of work on the Hill uh, either involves uh, working with, with your colleagues on a staff um, um, or when you have to sit down and work, hash something out, being able to get along with people, figure out uh, to get their assistance or to find out um, how to work out solutions with them. So it's kind of a whole package of things that really helped me along the way. Well, that's, you know, it's it's soothing, actually, in some way to hear that because some of the basic skills that you were talking about are skills that we're still trying to instill in our students. And obviously, they're going into a, a little different uh, political uh, and social environment than you did. But the idea that you're thinking about computational skills, and the big thing which you said, but I'm very happy you said this, is the writing skills. Because many students really have to work very hard on honing skills so that they're saying things very clearly and concisely because people who are consuming that at the highest levels don't have time really to go through 
a lot of material that's not relevant. And I think students find that difficult. So I think that's a really important thing. And the other thing is, Knowing data doesn't mean you have to be able to manipulate it, but knowing when you have good data and when you don't have good data, that's also very important, especially um, for people who are making decisions that affect you know, millions of, of, of people, either here in the United States or abroad. So it's soothing to hear that these are the same skill sets that you see is really important that what we're still trying to do at the school. So very good, very good. So I have to ask you this question. So you're you're working on Capitol Hill, and you're working in one of the most influential offices. I mean, the Speaker of the House, um, and you're working at a time when there is a lot of discussion. There's a lot of disagreement in terms of approaches to policy. You know, there's a lot of data and information floating around. Some very good, some not so good. How did you balance in your own head? What did what were some of the tools you used, knowing that? You're going to have to go into something and compromise. You're going to have to you, – you know what your members and the leadership want to do, and you know what the others are trying to get at. So how did you think about – first of all, how did you think about the concept of compromise, and then how did you try to practice it? Um, I think uh, the one thing was just talking to people, talking to my counterparts. Um, I was fortunate uh, that – I had the chance to. Um, we didn't have to rush into something. We we started our discussions a long time, and and that's really important in terms of developing, getting understanding where they're coming from. But the critical thing is to develop trust. If you can talk to somebody, because in in developing a compromise, you need to explore various options in terms of what works for both both parties. So I think those were probably the two most valuable things. Was was kind of. Um, learning uh, uh, where they're coming from, learning what kind of makes them tick, and then that trusting relationship where you could have a frank discussion, explore things, then but not have it leaked to the press or, or used against you. Um, Can I interrupt for a second? Yes. Because I think that's really an important point. And also, but that takes time. And also the setting, like you said it before, at the beginning, you have to start establishing this before you actually have a session where you have to go toe-to-toe. So this this is building that before you almost really need it in a setting. And so that's one of, I think that's an important point. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't go over that point. The other thing is, is that, um, uh, that the leader's staff, uh, know that they understand how to get this done. They've been in this situation before. Frequently when you deal with somebody who's a hard charger, whether they're coming from the Republican side or the Democratic side, you're gonna have a, you could have a more difficult time because they've just never gone through it. You know, and mm. they feel, I, I came here to solve this problem this way. Yes, um, so mandate. I, I was fortunate in that we had, um, that the, the people sitting across the table from me had done this before and understood that when it came time to actually resolve something, that everyone was going to have to bend a little bit to find a, find something that would that everyone could agree to. Mm-hmm. Well, that was lucky. I mean, at that stage, <laughs> I guess when you get to the leadership stage, you've got people who obviously have been professional, have been through, through this before. But I can see sometimes when you had to work with new staff or new members, like you said, hard charging, had a mandate, come in, and sometimes aren't really very well versed in the governance of the House or the Senate, for that matter. You know, they understand Congress from an outside perspective rather than an institutional perspective. So uh, giving those relationships like in anything else is obviously very important. But how did you reach across the aisle yourself? I mean, what are some of the things you did to have a presence among, in this case, we're talking about the Democrats. So how did you, or even some people in the Republican Party who just didn't see eye to eye uh, with what you were working on? Um, the, the, it was more so from out of necessity than, um, but I, uh, and it, 
it's a two-way street. My, my counterpart in, um, in Speaker Pelosi's staff, the policy director for Speaker Pelosi, I think, you know, I come in, I had, I, uh, one day I am the policy director of the Ways and Means Committee, and the next day I am the policy director for the Speaker, and we are in the middle of, we have to complete the appropriations bill, we got a highway bill we haven't done, we're in the middle of a mess that we have to, and we just come in and, I shouldn't say this, we just make it up, you know. Well, you, you have you, to you, do, you have to do something, you and, can't be paralyzed, yeah, right? So, uh, and I think he reached out to me, and we had a cup of coffee. So it's a two-way street, and um, and I was it was glad because uh, it, it it was a connection. I could sit down with him. We weren't in some you know intractable struggle. Mm-hmm. It was just talking, talking about you know what we'd done in the past and so forth. Um, but more so, uh, I, I probably should have done more of it in terms of reaching out in advance and reaching out to. Uh, it was more so out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that where I, where I met with them and and we and some of the the the, uh, the situation I went through with the 2018 appropriations process, I got to know Senator Schumer's policy directors, actually two individuals, and then I was very close and had known Senator McConnell's, which is a Republican. Yeah. I'd known his policy director for years. Uh, um, so in some of the people I've, I've worked with in the past, and that makes it easier. You kind of mm-hmm. know where they're coming from. But it's something that I think it's critical to talk to the counterparts. And, and, and if you're in a leadership position with divided government where you need to ultimately compromise on some things, it's really important to have those relationships and to have a trusting relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most important things we need to help our students understand is you have to build these and you have to build them across the aisle and you have to – you have to nurture them. You have to cultivate them so that people, whether you ever come to agreement on something, at least people are going to respect the fact and want you in that room uh, so that you can contribute to that. So having that kind of approach to things uh, is one. And the other thing, we always talk about crisis, you know, like crisis management. We're in a crisis. We have to get this done. So there's there's a downside to that because it's like, oh, my gosh, we have to get something done and we're really, we can't really study it the way we want to study it. On the other hand, you have to get something done. You can't say, well, excuse me, we're not going to pass this bill until we have a five-year study on X. So that those kinds of environments draw people together and how you exploit, and I mean that in a good word, those kinds of environments where you're brought together in a crisis and then you hold that beyond that crisis to go to the next, you know, the next uh, uh, challenge that you have. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the other thing is, is that they're not just across the aisle. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the House Republican Conference is a diverse conference with a lot of different views on things. And one of the speakers really wanted to do when he came in was to try to keep his team, his conference unified. And he made a point of sort of selectively, he couldn't meet with all 241 of them, uh, although he did meetings with the entire conference or he did meetings with the entire conference. He would pick out representative folks from different camps Mm -hmm. or different views in the conference and meet with them regularly uh, in an informal occasion and, and and um, I would attend those meetings. And you learn a lot from that. And you could find up from your – and again, they, the meetings were not to – we got to solve this problem. It was more just a sort of informal discussion. What do you think Where's about your this? Head? Where's What's, your head? What are What's you worried going on? about? What you, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think those were terribly valuable. And, there, you know, sometimes um, uh, the, the, uh, a member who might be – Perfectly nice, perfect, fine conversation, but they're a hard no on the bill. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. always yeah. work, but yeah. you get a sense. It gives you a sense of what's going, what's going on, and taking the temperature of different parts. Because these are not these conferences are not hundred percent unified. They're people with different views and different things on different issues. Mm-hmm. Well, at the highest level too. I mean, <laughs> at the highest stake level, right? So, uh, no, I know when you think about again building the networks, building people who you can talk to. Because even if you don't convince people. 
uh, it's really not about converting people. It's about convincing people. And even if you can at a certain time, that relationship that gets bonded even in those meetings that may not have the outcome that you want, it's all part of that that network building and those relationship buildings. And you have to do those. Um, and that's what our students and you know our successful alums our students are being trained to do and our successful alums accomplish. So that's an important part of, you know, being at top levels, a top in the, in the middle of a mess and many messes. Um, you said economics uh, has formed the backbone of your career. How do you make this topic accessible and clear to the average voter who may not have the same understanding of economics and microeconomics and macroeconomics and this is really more of a generic question. One of the things that's really uh, important for us to do is we have to look at new knowledge, new information, new discoveries, new research. And often those, those, uh, that information comes from settings that is loaded with jargon, you know, in the jargon of the discipline. And we have to sit back and figure out how are we going to give that to people who normally are not in that discipline? How do we give them a clear picture? Talk to us a little bit about how some of the challenges you faced with that and then how you tried to get around those. Well, I think for a, a, a member of Congress or a policymaker in general, ultimately the thing they're looking at is the economy. Uh, how are their constituents doing? And, 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 and that turns out the economy probably is an overwhelming factor in terms of the level of employment, the level of wages um, and things like that, people's ability to buy homes and all of those issues, uh, interest rates to take out a mortgage, all of those factors are terribly important. The challenge is, is that uh, um, I'm a policy guy uh, and we'll, um, we'll uh, uh, talk in, in total Greek to people. We'll talk about percentage of GDP and uh, in, in terms that people don't understand. Uh, and, and when you get into with the, I'm not, a, I'm not a, an economist by training. Um, and when you start talking to the economists, they'll talk about, you know, total factor productivity and stuff like that, 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 that your average person has no idea. So the policymakers challenge, and they're always after us, is on the communication side of it, is how do I explain what we're doing here to a, to a constituent? So we would frequently try try to, to um, take the analyses and find a way where there's a way for us to translate that into the jobs that would be created or what it would do to wages or uh, things like that. But that is a huge challenge to take very, very complicated topics because ultimately members of Congress want to be able to communicate it to the public either in the form of going on TV or speaking at the House floor or in committee or being back home yeah, talking to their constituents town yeah, hall exactly. meetings exactly yeah. and explaining it. Now, one thing I thought was really interesting that my boss did. He, would, he had a bunch of plans that he did, budget plans we, that he did and other things. Um, uh, he, would, he would go through and do town halls regularly through his district before he became speaker. Then speaker, things got so polarized. Yes, he's busy it was so and hard. occupied, yes. And, and, um, but he would do that, and, and what was interesting is he would learn from the questions. He would learn in terms of how to talk about things and also learn about how it was received in his. So he used those sessions to both communicate to his, as he said, his employers uh, back in his mm -hmm. district, but to also learn how to talk about issues and also to see whether they resonated and whether they're addressing his constituents' concerns. Mm -hmm. When you think about that skill, because that's a skill, you know, communicating and trying to take compl complicated information and make it simpler for people to understand without really jeopardizing the integrity of what you're saying, you know, um, people don't normally come in any walk of life with that kind of skill set. So 
thinking about the training uh, that you have, I mean, both here at the LBJ School and beyond, but I, when I was on the Hill, there's not really a lot of training. It's sort of trial by fire. You know, people come there, and if they don't have that skill set, they have to learn it, and they have to be very um, deliberate in how they're trying to get that. So I, not, I didn't see that as something that was a sustainable kind of, we all should be achieving this. So those who did... Um, do you believe those who did then, in terms of just the caucuses or their role, had a had a higher standing or the go-to people because they were able to communicate this in a way that others understood? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 even more valuable in sort of the electronic age. There's so yeah. many ways, forms of communication, and and um, I, and both con- I think both parties are from all spectrums are are working every possible angle because they know the value of communications in terms of ultimately motivating voters. Uh, so I think that uh, and there's a tremendous effort in terms of the various platforms uh, to, to communicate and then meet that challenge of how do you uh, um, present things uh, uh, that, that your words were integrity to integrity. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that gets a little lost yeah, in the process, I, yeah, yeah. but it can come back to bite a politician too. Because if you go out and say, make a promise that you're going to do something, I'm going to go to Washington D.C. I'm going to do X. Uh, you know, the voters can expect you to actually deliver on that, and and uh, and so that's a real challenge, I think, for policy for elected officials, which is to both. Um, uh, uh, get voters interested in what they're doing, get them to support what they're doing, and then the challenge of actually delivering it. You know, I, just as an aside, I never did understand, and I understand it's the political uh, arena, but I never did understand how somebody could say, when I go there, I'm going to do this. <laughs> because, you know, just by the fact of saying that doesn't really project a reflection of what an understanding of the body. You know, people don't really understand Congress as a body as a governing body uh, and, you know, collaboration and compromise and teamwork and set up to be very conservative, you know, in the sense of we're just not going to pass things unless they pass many gauntlets of testing. I think many people don't understand that. But when you're elected official, that's even more important because trying to educate folks, you have to sort of, especially if they're in state legislative bodies, you have to kind of Break that down and say this is not a state legislative body because they're all very different. This is a different acculturation. And um, how did you see – did you see members – I'm trying to get at the members who campaigned on that and also think, wow, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to be the one as a freshman to get in there and I'm going to do this and it's going to happen and I'm going to get a bill and everybody's going to sign up on this bill. Did you see ways – and maybe you haven't uh, been in those kinds of positions where those – uh, the lessons that they learned uh, were tough lessons uh, in terms of trying to think about where they're going to make a difference quickly uh, with their idea only. <laughs> yeah, I think that they're. I think there are different paths. I think members when they first come to Congress, they they don't really fully understand how it works, uh, and because you can only really learn by living it, mm-hmm. by living it and doing it. And I think they get a better sense in terms of the challenges of getting things done. Um, the other thing is, is I, I think some members, uh, um, they're, it's, I'm oversimplifying it, but there's sort of a route where you can try to get things done and work the process and learn it and, and do the process, make the compromise and so forth. Or the other path, and I don't think members necessarily choose one or the other, but there's, uh, is, to be, is to vote no. And to say this is outrageous, what the mm-hmm. and, be, and sometimes that's that's totally understandable. The member of Congress didn't 
did, doesn't support that and needs to represent their their constituents. But sometimes that's the easier path, which mm-hmm. is to go on TV and say, I'm going to fight this. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. And to vote no. Um, uh, and there could be very difficult votes where people vote no for principled reasons. But um, so I, I, I think that's a real challenge for members in terms of finding and, and particularly as you're trying to actually put together legislation mm-hmm. um, for the House, which is a is an institution which can pass things with a simple majority. Um, for right now, the Democrats have a simple majority. That's what Republicans had before this last election. I think one of the frustrations a lot of those new members are going to have, they're going to come into power and they just passed H.R. 1, which deals with campaign finance and so forth. Well, McConnell over in the Senate saying he's not moving that bill. Right, right. And they're going to have to kind of, well, what do we do next? Yes. And there's not a – and they, it may, they may not be able to free up that bill. So I think it will be interesting to see how the new members kind of digest that and figure it. Now, they can always go back. The other option is they can go back and campaign in the next election and say – you know, uh, well, that's the, that's the issue. Is are you are you working for the next campaign, or, or are you working, working to have some legislation yeah. passed that's a policy? Both. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so how do you exactly? So I think people don't totally understand that uh, incredible tension uh, of people. Yeah. But I think you make a really good point about saying no. If that's your north, if that's your option, if that's your fundamentally opt, I'm going in there to say no and not engage in the compromise it or the you know the toughness of actually coming up with something. And it may not be the best thing, but coming up with something. Uh, that's a, that says something about people who are then elected into those offices, you know, to govern. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to – I don't think anybody fits – there's some yeah. who I think are generally yes, in that I spot. Agree. But I there's agree. some members who are just – they may be okay and help you on one issue, but on another issue, they're just – they'll be clear. We're, yeah. I'm a hard no on that. I yeah. am not voting for it. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's very interesting. And I think uh, from the time I was on the Hill, you know, f- you know 45 years of experience – um, what I saw was a big shift, and part of it was just the time investment people could make in understanding and learning not only the House and and the Senate and their governing, but also trying to become experts in an area. We just don't give them that time. You know, there's just too many demands on members of Congress for so many reasons that, you know, staff has become much more of a critical element in, in, in uh, life. And I always, again, this is just something from my own perspective, many of members were judged in terms of their substance and their um, their ability to work with others through their staff, you know, because staff reflect the member. Um, so um, this speaks very well to Speaker Ryan <laughs> that you were with him. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you this question. Uh, the, you're going to talk to our students today. So after we finish this podcast, uh, our students who um, will have the benefit of having a, a session with you. And today is going to be called Policymaking in Theory and Practice, You know, which is in the DNA of the LBJ School. It's like a theory. We want to give you the basic understanding and knowledge and the basic discoveries that are going on. But we want you also to be able to translate it into what matters into practice. What kind of tensions do you have to manage when putting together when you're looking at theory and you're trying to put it into practice? I think uh, uh, everyone wants what's called regular order. Regular order is the bill is introduced, there's <laughs> hearings, it gets reported out of the committee, it's passed by the, the House or Senate, they go to a conference committee and um, uh, they resolve the differences, it gets sent to the president, it gets signed. That happens, but, but for a lot of the things that require bipartisan compromises, that doesn't happen. Yes. It's done at the last minute. 
The bills are thrown together uh, out of necessity because it can't get through that process mm -hmm. for the vagaries of the, how the House and Senate operate and the, where the various positions are, what the president's position may be on something. So I think one of the things that, that uh, is difficult is, is going through that process when the Speaker Ryan was as much for regular order as anybody. Yes. He was determined to, yeah. to bring more regular order, bring more, allow more amendments on the floor. But out of necessity, there are times where uh, that that um, that you're not going to get something done if you follow that process. You're just going to end up sitting there with uh, either legislation that can never pass the House or will never get through the Senate or never become law. So you have to make that that trade-off. Now, bills become law that go through regular order. The, the Farm Bill that was done um, last year went through the entire pro process. The National Defense um, Authorization Act uh, went through that process. So I don't want to say it's for everything. Mm -hmm. There are bills that do go through that process, but um, frequently the process breaks down, and you and you and you have to when you have to get something accomplished, you you have to depart from that. And members are disappointed because they 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 want they feel they're disenfranchised when that happens, yeah. um, and they're disappointed, and rightfully so, because it 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 doesn't give them the full participation in the process, and things out of necessity are done. Um, and, and by leadership and by a smaller group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're talking about like the regular order, there you can I can literally see logically where information and knowledge and discovery and research and expertise is really important. You're in the formulation stages of those kinds of uh, policies, but the closer you get to actually coming to some kind of conclusion or some kind of compromise or some kind of like we've got to do it. Um, that's almost too late to say, well, oh, I've got something that I think um, will help you in this particular – because at that point, it really becomes decision-making that's very, very fast. And unless you have the expertise to help help an attention-driven uh, or uh, an immediacy-driven environment, you're not going to be able to participate at that time, which might be the most critical time that a decision is made. So, I, so we're trying to figure out how we do this. How do we um, – Intersect or inter, inter, intersect at a time in the policymaking uh, process where expertise is really important and valuable and useful, uh, and keep that going even though things get, like you say, you know they can get very uh, uh, difficult. Tensions are there and unpredictable, or new things come in that you didn't think were part of the problem. Well, when we reach those stages, it's not like it's a blank slate. Uh, yeah. There are usually issues that have been around yes. for a while. Yeah. Um, I had a team of eight people I worked with me. Each of those had a portfolio. Uh, they, they were sort of hardwired into their, their committees, and they knew their committees. That's where the expertise is, is in the committees of jurisdiction. And we would draw on that. But to your point, these things are done uh, uh, particularly when you're up against a, a deadline, you've got to – the government's going to shut down if yeah. you don't get this bill done or the government's going to default if we don't get the, the debt limit done. Um, in, in those situations, there's a scramble and um, – but it's not like it's a blank slate, and uh, we would draw on both all sides would draw on um, on committee staffs or the, the experts in their own staff to make sure that those decisions were as informed as possible. And you had a you had a good sense about in terms of what your degree of flexibility was mm -hmm. on those issues. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you got to call an audible at the line, which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it was like you know the feasibility is well, I'm not real sure, <laughs> but we have to do yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But. Uh, uh, 
you you have a good sense, and it's not like it's a, like I keep saying a blank slate, and mm-hmm. you're just making it up at the end. It, there's still information and an, an informed process to get it done, but it it's better when it goes through a regular order process. It's a it's a more deliberative process. Yes. It has the committees more jurisdiction, more directly involved. Um, uh, that that is the better way, clearly, to to resolve legislation. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't understand this legislation does go through. There's there's plenty of legislation that goes through that. Yeah. Uh, but we see what we see, the public sees, is all more of a chaotic, um, last-minute, you know, dug-in kind of thing. And they don't see a lot of expertise at that level. So I'm, I'm glad you're able to talk about that. I have a final question, and um, it's really about Speaker Ryan. You know, so people's had this, this public per- persona. You know, people see people. They don't see them behind the scenes and— uh, they don't understand uh, the demands placed on a particular individual in a particular office. So t- can you tell us a little bit about something about uh, Speaker Ryan that we students might not know about him by just seeing him in the public? Um, well, I'm, I'm very fond of, of Paul Ryan. I worked for him for 11 years. I, I uh, admire him and so, f- so forth. Um, I think he always had a sense of perspective and a sense of humor. That's uh, what uh, humor. Dealing, Dealing with issues. I mean, I think if you watch a TV show, it's always all this tension, you know, and yeah. everyone's at edge, and because that's drama. Um, uh, my experience, whether it was uh, was with Paul, is we, we would hit, a, we'd, we'd be at an absolute dead end. We'd be at wit's end in terms of what are we going to do next. And he would recite some movie from a movie um, that he liked in the '80s. He would just recite a line <laughs> that was kind of pertinent, and everyone would kind of laugh and all of that. And it would take us off track for a little bit, but I also think it would give sort of a breath of relief. Uh, so I think he is a. Um, uh, he also, in my mind, and I'm a huge fan, so I'm, I cannot be objective with respect to Paul Ryan. He also, I think, is uh, he's really good at dealing with people. He likes his nature is to like people. He wants uh, he wants to treat people fairly, and I think that was terribly important in in um, in meetings. He he rarely I've rarely seen him lose his temper. He would, and when things are tough, you know, and he would uh, dealing with other members. So he always came across to me as a. Um, uh, he, he'd walk into the room no matter how bad it was, uh, and you know I'd be there dour, and I'm an optimistic <laughs> guy. And Paul always had a, a, a smile on his face, a spring in his step, and and for for when you're tired and you're stressed out and you're worried about how you're going to complete something, that is that is a very positive force. At least it was for me. Well, you know, it just reflects. Uh you know, a sense, not only the sense of humor, but a perspective. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes we get involved in things and our perspective really narrows that we're the most important and this is the most important and we don't understand, no, uh, there are other perspectives and this is not the end of the world. And I think that sense of humor is really important because it just takes the burden off. People are freer to think through and be more energetic and creative when you've got the sense of humor. Um, so that's really important thing. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm just so pleased. I, if people can't see me, but I've got a big smile on my face <laughs> um, because I can't wait to share you with our students. So thanks again. We really appreciate it, Austin. Thank, thank you. you. It's great to be here. And thanks, everyone, for listening.